0: Right, evening everyone. Um, great to have you here and um, great privilege to be uh, invited to chat at this, um, at this uh, seminar. I'm a, I'm a zoologist by trade and so I'm coming at um, environmental conflict from very much a kind of wildlife conservation um, point of view. So I hope to share some of those perspectives with you. I've spent the last 12 years working in a big national park in western Zimbabwe called Wangi. And so I'm going to talk tonight about um, wildlife conflict on the boundaries of this of this national park. Um, because it's quite a multi- multidisciplinary audience, I thought I'd just give you some background into um, wild, human wildlife conflict. Um, humans have been competing and um, in conflict with carnivores for millennia, and there's fossil evidence to suggest that, you know, big cats ate early hominids. Um, this picture here is by an artist called John Banovich, entitled "The Man-eaters Man of Sago," and it's um, it depicts two man-eaters that terrorised the Sago area in the early 1900s. And um, these lions ate about 129 people, um, and these people were actually building a railway line between uh, Mombasa and, and Kenya, and it actually it stopped construction on the railway line for a while, um, and. You know, this kind of just gives an illustration of, sort of, of some of the conflict. Um, and this is not a historical, um, only a historical um, issue. Uh, in contemporary times in uh, Tanzania, between uh, 1990 and 2004, about 550 Tanzanians were, were killed and eaten by lions. So it's, um, it's very much a, a real issue. Fortunately, man-eaters are quite rare. And I don't, I don't deal with man-eating. I deal with another form of conflict where um, carnivores kill people's livestock. And pretty much anywhere where you get population of carnivores, large carnivores, and people's livestock, you have an issue of conflict. And it's it's worldwide. Um, in this particular instance, we're looking at lions and livestock. And of course. <coughs> Wherever you have this kind of conflict, people have tried to eradicate um, predators, and this is this is a feature of, of most areas that have been colonized by Western colonists. Um, North America, Africa. The first thing they do is get rid of all the predators, and there have been state-sponsored eradication um, campaigns in all of these areas. And for most, in most kind of ranching and farming areas, big predators have been eliminated. And of course that has very big po- very big consequences for um, wildlife populations, predator populations. Lions were once widespread in Africa. That's the distribution um, around the turn of the century, of last century, not this century. Um, and lions were actually widespread in the Middle East, prehistorically probably in Europe as well. That is their current distribution. And, Lions have declined probably by by about 50%, 50%, lion populations have declined about 50% um, since the 1980s, um, and lost huge areas of range, and largely because of conflict with people. So kind of just to to talk more specifically about my project and the work that we've been doing, um, we work in Zimbabwe, um, you can see um, in Western Zimbabwe in a big national park called Wangi, this national park is 15,000 square kilometers in um, extent it's a huge area Um, it's surrounded by wildlife areas and just to kind of orientate you those are the two areas that i'm going to be talking about the northern areas we call it the mabali study site and the eastern southern eastern area is the chilocho study site and the in these areas there are they're both communal lands and people um, live there with their livestock and they, they're pastoralists and farmers. Um, we've been working in Wangi for 12 years. We've undertaken various components of the study, but I'm just gonna really talk to you about the human-wildlife conflict side of things. We've also looked at trophy hunting and done a lot of ecological work on, on lions. Um, but in doing this work, we one of the things that we really noticed is that this population is heavily impacted by Um, mortality through conflict Um, and it's something that we wanted to look at in a lot more detail and surprisingly there are very few records of either lion mortalities or livestock mortalities Um, the various institutions responsible are very bad at keeping records so there was almost no baseline information so that was kind of really the first thing that we had to do is try and figure out how big this conflict was before you can actually start looking at putting um, solutions in place. Um, and so we've been working on this for the last four years, actually. So we're pretty much at the stage where we have a bit of an understanding of the, of the baseline. And we're at the stage where we want to start putting some solutions in place. So I'm going to tell you about the sort of ecology of, of the situation rather than the solutions. Um, in the study, we're looking at, we, we collect conflict reports. We've got a standardized set of data we collect for each conflict incident that we that it's reported. We're doing a series of ecological surveys in the area looking at prey species, lions obviously, and also domestic livestock and people. We have a big sociological questionnaire that we've we've just finished, so I'm not going to tell you about that, we haven't analyzed the data yet. But that's basically to collect all the sociological um, and conflict information from the people. We're monitoring um, herding practices by putting GPS collars on, on cows. And we've had those on for 18 months. We'll soon get the data back. So we can see how people actually herd their cattle um, in different seasons. And you'll see in a moment why that's important. And we've also been um, monitoring the ecology of lions for 12 years. So just to, to talk a bit about the, the depredation reports, which is the kind of bulk of the data we have at the moment, and you know, part of the story I'm telling tonight. So we, whenever there's a conflict incident, um, and you can see it was one of my research assistants uh, attending a conflict incident. We go out, we collect all the information, relevant information. And um, Up until now, we've, um, we've had over 400 um, conflict incidents um, involving nearly 700 um, uh, head of livestock killed. Bear in mind that the, the, the communities in this area are very poor, so losing a, a cow is actually a big loss. And also that you know, people don't have tractors. They plow their fields with oxen. So you know, if a lion kills your ox, you don't plow your field, and your family doesn't eat. So it, it is quite a big issue. Um, you'll see that in, in those two areas, um, there's the, the Chilochew area and the Mabali area at the top there. Those are the two areas that we've, we've focused on. Um, and those are the two communal lands that are closest to the national park. Um, I don't know if you can see the legend there that the lion kills are red and the hyenas are are blue. Hyenas are a big issue as well. Um, So those are the the livestock, but also lions get killed in these um, conflict incidents as well. And from our records, we know that about 38% of mortalities um, are, are down to snaring and poisoning of lions. And these are snaring is when um, people make a wire noose out of a bit of steel wire and they catch a lion by the neck very unpleasant um, obviously poisoning but the, the thing you'll notice about this, these sources of mortality is that only 8% is natural, all the rest are caused by people and the majority of it is caused by um, com- through conflict with people and there's a very strong spatial coincidence between kind of um, lion mortalities and livestock losses. So, if you superimpose the mortalities on the livestock losses, you can see that you know, very strong spatial coincidence. Uh, the, the purple icons are snares, and the red icons are, are problem animal control. That's where the animals actually, fi- uh, the lions are actually officially shot by a wildlife um, agency because they because they're causing a big problem. From our reports, we also know where the livestock are killed, and there's some quite interesting patterns from that, which may help us put solutions in place. Particularly in Chilocho, um, we find that most livestock are killed at night, which makes sense because most predators are nocturnal. But not only are they killed at night, but they're killed when they're left outside of their protective enclosures. So traditionally, um, people put their livestock into what's called a boma protective enclosures to try and protect them from predation at night. But it's also most, most of the livestock are left out of the Boma. Um, so you can instantly, instantly see how you could kind of improve the situation by better protecting your yeah. livestock. In Mobali it's a, little, it's a slightly different um, situation, it's that people do use their Bomas but their Bomas aren't very strong, and so the, pred- the predators get into the bomas And so in that, in that area, improving the structure of the Bomas would um, help um, mitigate the livestock loss. And what is really apparent in this, in, in, in this um, ecosystem is that conflict is extremely seasonal. And so this graph is a graph of rainfall, the, the lines, and the I don't know if you can see the, the gray bars, um, that's the number of conflict incidents in a month. And so there's a very strong um, pattern which I'm going to to try and explain to you in a moment. So this this graph just summarizes those data. Um, And so I've divided it into an early dry, a late dry, and a wet season. Um, And you can see that um, livestock losses in the wet season are much higher than other seasons. And you probably figured out from that graph that um, this is a very, very seasonal environment. So there's a very distinct rainy season and a very distinct dry season. In the dry season, there's no there's no rain and very little surface water. Our ecological surveys showed some interesting things, and I'll try and pick it. I'll try and show you from this graph. So again, I, I divided the data into three seasons: the early dry, late dry, and wet months. The interesting thing to note here is that wild prey in the dark blue um, bars in the late dry season peak. Um, and then decline in the wet months. And at, at the same time in the wet months, the availability of domestic livestock is hugely increased. And, and so you'll remember that you know, most losses occur in the wet season, so you know, it's not only abundance. But um, interestingly, I think what's happening is that lions are switching from eating wild prey to eating domestic prey. And I'm gonna illustrate that from another study that I've been involved in in Botswana. Um, it's about, a, this, this national park's about 100 kilometers from Wangi and in this system there's a, there's a migratory prey base. So the migratory prey move into an area at, at one, one time in the year and then move out again. Um, and this graph shows that there's a preference index, it's a Jacob's prefer, preference index, so the positive values indicate preference, negative values indicate um, aversion. So For migratory prey, lions strongly prefer them, so at times of the year when migratory prey are in the ecosystem, they eat migratory prey, and that's what they like to eat. Once the migratory prey leave, they switch, and they switch to livestock, which they've previously not not taken at all. Um, And it seems that, you know, that that sort of prey switching is occurring in Wendy (laughs) as well. The other thing that we've noticed is that there's probably a sociological component to this kind of conflict as well. And our data shows that um, if you look at the number of people that um, are out with the cattle at, at, any different, at in the different seasons, so early dry, late dry, and wet season again, um, there are fewer people um, guarding cattle in the wet season. So this graph shows the number of cattle per person. Um, so you can see a lot more cattle and far fewer people in the wet season, and this is quite interesting because I think what's happening here is that people are growing crops in the wet season, and so they tend to neglect their cattle because they, they're focusing on growing crops. So that's another reason why livestock losses are much higher in the um, in the wet season. So you can see there's a very strong kind of very strong ecological factors which which underpin um, this. the the conflicts that we see in this area and those kind of ecological um, you need to factor that kind of ecological um, those ecological patterns into any solutions that you put in place so as I said you know this is the kind of the background to the the study we are really only starting to put the solutions in place so I'm very briefly going to tell you about some of those solutions Um, We haven't started any of this work yet, we're just about to do that. So the first thing is livestock husbandry. That's the most obvious way to prevent livestock loss, is look after the livestock better, um, persuade people to put their livestock into protective enclosures at night. Um, And it sounds simple, but it's not really, because people leave their livestock out for for a reason. And often it's because, especially in the dry season, People have to leave the livestock out grazing, otherwise it dies of starvation. It has to eat all night in order to get enough food. Um, And also, there's a lack of manpower. If if you're growing crops all day, it's quite hard to go out and then find your cattle and bring them in. So, um, solutions are are potentially uh, mobile boomers, so they they prefabricate and just move them out to wherever your cattle are grazing, and seasonal communal um, herding and grazing. Those are so- solutions we're looking at. The other thing is, um, we w- we we've actually just got some funding to start a lion guardian program, and this is actually recruiting people from the community to, I guess, um, to interface with the community to kind of push lion conservation, but also help the community with with herding, with boma building, and those kind of things. It's it's a concept that's been tried in Kenya and to be very very successful, and we'd like to roll it up in Kenya. The other thing is that we want to look at um, a lion watch program, where we actually we actually collar lions um, with satellite collars, uh, lions that are likely to leave the park and come into come into conflict, and we can then alert people when lions are are out of the park, and that's when they need to look after their livestock. Um, We've actually got satellite collars out on our our lions, and it seems to work really well, and it's something that we'd like to to, um, roll out some more. So in this, you're probably all familiar with Google. Um, On the right of the the slide, uh, the left of the slide, that's the national park. The yellow line is the park boundary. And this is the communal land over here, right here. And these are the villages, you can see the fields. And that lioness lives right on the boundary of the park. And she periodically um, leaves the park to raise cattle. And this is very recent data, this is from the last two weeks. She killed nine cows in the last week, last two weeks. So, this is the kind of situation where we could say, this lioness is out of the park, keep your cattle at home. And we'd like to integrate that with the Lion Guardian program. Um, and then there's a couple of sort of long term solutions. Um, one thing we're looking at is, is insurance straight compensation never works in these situations because it just reduces the incentive to look after livestock. But if you have some kind of insurance um, scheme, that might work fairly well. And we're actually talking to um, insurance brokers to try and set this up. The other thing is is fencing off um, part of the community and actually providing a physical barrier that lions don't move through. Uh, In that photograph, you can see that that is the fence of the park. So lions can move quite freely between the park and the, and the communal land, and if you talk to the local people, they say, put up a fence. You know, we don't mind the lions, but we just don't want them in our back backyard, backyard. So that's a kind of a very a sort of long term solution that we might be looking at. Um, it, it's maybe a bit controversial because a lot of conservationists are saying, you know, take all the fences down. But in this situation, that might actually protect lions better and, and suit the community very well as well so thanks very much for for listening and um